0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to the InsideCarolina.com podcast on the beat live. Thursday night, 8 o'clock. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Live brings fun times, obviously. Sherelle McMillan, Taylor Vipolis, Gregory Hall running the wheels. Straight Carolina basketball here, boys. Um, Sherelle, appreciate you joining me. I'm going to come to you first. Uh, This basketball team has shown the ability to um, be really good and really bad Um, and just as polar opposite performances as you can get. Um, Just... I guess I'll just ask you the question why? why? It seems difficult to be as wide apart as they can be. Why do you think? What's going on?
2: I don't know, man. Uh, I think that's the question that everybody who follows or covers UNC is asking themselves. I think that's what the coaching staff is trying to figure out. There's so much variance, as you said, between some of these performances. I mean, they come out and obviously you had to talk about the level of competition, but they look great against Boston College. They look really good against Georgia Tech. They look great against Virginia, and then you juxtapose those with just mind-numbing losses where they were really never in the game against Tennessee and Kentucky, um, and then the other night. So uh, it's it's I, I don't really have an answer. I, I think you can start to look at um, kind of this core group and. Uh, there's not to say that any of them aren't nice guys or anything, but sometimes pieces just don't fit together. And right now the the pieces aren't fitting, you know, we're into, is it game 18 coming up, I think. Um, And so you should start, this is when you should start to see some consistency from the roster. You should start to see roles defined and it's like the roles are defined for two or three games and then they're done. So, you know, I just think Hubert Davis, it's a tough task because, you've seen how good they can be. And the whole thing from coach Smith was, if, you know, I've seen you do it one time, I know you can do it over and over again. So let me see you do it over and over again. And this team just is not capable of it right now for whatever reason. Yep. Let's get
1: right into something I think is important. Um, and Huber Davis really had no answers the other night. And he was talking about leadership. We've talked about the importance of leadership on the football field, but it matters on the basketball court as well. But you can't have a team full of leaders, but you can't have a team full of followers either, and it seems like watching this North Carolina team that when it goes bad for one or two players, it goes bad for everybody. Your take on, on that aspect of this, because I think if, if they had a strong leader that could step up, uh, Burt mentioned David Noel back when he played, at least I think it would reduce the amount of yo-yo effect that we're seeing. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing that stuck out to me after watching Hubert Davis's press conference after that Miami game is the fact that he's still questioning the intensity, the effort, the heart, the fight that this team has. And I think that does go back to a lack of leadership in that basketball locker room like I know a a lot of people are quick to blame Hubert Davis for this team's shortcomings right now, but we know how much this opportunity means to Coach Davis. We know how much he loves the university. He can't want it for the 13, 14 guys that are on the roster or the seven, eight guys that are playing in his rotation where if, if he's still questioning the effort and we've seen it, the, the Kentucky game, Carolina gets absolutely blown out. We saw it at the Tennessee game. They get absolutely blown out. They lose the Notre Dame game. They lose the Purdue game. Uh, better effort just maybe didn't execute as well. But this is now becoming a trend for this team where you're questioning the, the effort and the intensity. And that's, that's a huge problem with the locker room. And in the podcast that's coming out tomorrow with Justin Jackson, we, we like start to break down the, the leadership issues that this team might be having. And one of the things Justin mentioned that he thinks is a problem for this team is that if somebody's going to check you in the locker room, you can't have somebody who's, who's going to check you and then all of a sudden you're wondering about their effort and their intensity. Like He said that his, his, soft, his freshman and sophomore year, if somebody like Marcus was going to get on him, He knew that Marcus was always going to be one of the top-graded defensive players. He was always going to make the right plays for the offense. Now, that doesn't mean Marcus isn't going to have bad games from time to time, but Justin knows that somebody like Marcus is leaving it all out on the court where you're watching this North Carolina team and somebody like Caleb Love could start to try to play hero ball when, when his shot's not going, or somebody like Armando Baycott gets the ball and forces it on the offensive end. So they really don't have somebody who can check this team knowing that they're all there. It looks like they don't know that individual success is going to bring more team success. So when they when they do get in these uncomfortable situations against the better teams, it's why they're struggling in their one and they're one in five, I think, in quad one and quad two games.
3: So then the only player that can hold others accountable, I think we could agree is Armando. Right. He seems to be the most consistent on that in that aspect.
1: What do you think, Sherelle? I I think I agree with
2: that. I talked about it with Dewey the other night. You you know my thoughts on on leadership, but we'll leave that for another day. I just think that um, I think we're all searching for answers. And in the search for answers, we're we're picking on the fruit, even the head coach. You know, he's searching for answers, too. He's a first year head coach. That's not disparaging to him, but he's never been a head coach before. So he's trying to figure out as well. And the easiest thing when things aren't going right is, Effort and want to and leadership. And these are all important things at at some points, but I don't necessarily think that's the case with this team. Like just go out and do your job. That's the easiest thing to do. You want to show leadership, go out and play hard, you know, the 30 minutes a game that you're in or the 25 minutes a game you're in. That's that's to to me, that's leadership. You want to show mental toughness, like. Make sure that Armando Baycott is getting the ball no matter what, because that's the best way for North Carolina to win. That's mental toughness. You want to show off what you can do? You know, defend. That's mental toughness. Just doing it over and over and over again is mental toughness. You know, it's not all the other stuff. So, to me, I, I don't think it necessarily has to be Baycott. I think each individual on the team needs to say, and they've had three or four of these already, hopefully this will be the last one, They need to say, what do I want to achieve this season with this team? And what is the best way for me to help this team achieve whatever I just, you know, answered, you know, the question before. And if they all do that and they all talk about it, then I think they can turn this thing around. There's still plenty of time to do that. um, But, you know, it just takes, you know, the, the old cliche, one game at a time. That's what it takes. And right now you're not seeing that from this team. You're seeing a game here, two games here, and then a game here, and then four bad games. And, you know, of the roller coaster goes and down it goes.
0: So yeah, one thing one thing that Justin mentioned in in the podcast that people will hear tomorrow when it comes out is like it doesn't have to be Armando Baycott. Like leadership doesn't equal who's scoring the most points or who's getting the most offensive touch the most offensive touches. Like the leadership can come from any of the starters. It can come from any of the rotation guys. Just guys that you see putting in the work each and every day and guys that aren't afraid to you know, hold players accountable when things aren't going right because I think that's, that's a problem that this team has where once things start to spiral out of control, they don't really have anybody to turn to and be like, you know, this, this is what's happening. This is what we have to kind of address where it seems like everybody's kind of looking at Coach Davis for, for answers when he's like, you know, it, Coach Davis isn't putting on a jersey. He's, he's not suiting up. So those guys in the in the locker room are the the responsibility kind of falls on their shoulders right now.
2: Taylor, shouldn't shouldn't that be innate though? shouldn't Shouldn't that be something that you just have? You're like, you know what? I'm not doing my job very well, so I want to do better. Like, where does the personal pride and that kind of stuff come in? At what point do we reach that? Because, again, we've talked all the X's and O's. We talked effort and leadership and all that stuff. But at some point, you just got to go out there and play.
0: Yeah, I think it's something you you might think you're working really hard, but the, the other four guys or the other guys who are off the court might have a, a better view where it's like, you know, a lot of times people in situations from when I've, when I've been coaching basketball, like people might think they're doing the right thing or that they're in the right spots or they're giving a lot of effort. But, you know, when you're, when you're watching film back and you're like, oh, what happened here? And it's like, oh, this player took a playoff here. This player took a playoff there. And then once, you're, once you start to see that kind of add up, then it it, it it does have that kind of self-realization like maybe I'm not working as hard or I'm not putting in the effort that this team deserves. But I think you do need people on the court at the same time that kind of no players um no players ability and no player standards. And that's a that's another thing where it's like this team is is a talented team on paper. But when you're talking about a talented team on paper that's adding you know, Brady Manic, a transfer, Dawson Garcia, a transfer. Players are in and out with COVID. Players are in and out with injuries. This team really doesn't seem like they know how to hold each other accountable. And I think I think that part is just as important as a player taking that onus on themselves to be like, this is what we have to do, and this is my individual responsibility. Someone in the
3: someone in the chat said that when the defense is doing well, the offense is doing well. And it works the other way. Well, when have, we seen the, we, when have we seen the defense play poorly? It's been against athletic good competition. I wrote after the Miami game because going into it was can UNC do what they did against Virginia and Georgia Tech on the road? It no longer seems to be a road versus at home issue because when you break it down, the teams that the nine teams they've beaten at home have an average net rating of 165. There are five losses. The average net rating is 35, and that's skewed by a Notre Dame team that's in the 80s, right? So when it comes to defense is doing well, the offense is doing well, and the defense is doing poor, the offense does poor. Well, the defense does poor when R.J. Davis and Caleb Love are getting beat off the dribble when they're not responding to pick-and-rolls and, and pick-and-pops, and they're letting Lashevsky and Wardenberg just – Grab the ball off a ball screen wide open and knock down threes. It's, I don't, I think, and yes, that part of it is the energy and the effort and all that stuff. But the beginning of the Miami game, when they led five to two and then gave up a 14 0 run, that 14 0 run was fueled because they were, Miami was fronting Baycott and 100% was not letting Baycott get the ball. And Baycott, when he got it, was getting swarmed and trying to do too much and not passing it out. And then the guards weren't hitting shots. Manic hit the first three, the first five possessions were all threes. He hit that first one. The next four were all misses. And the next thing they know, they're down 16 to five. I think Hubert calls a timeout there. And then the rest is history. And the game's decided then because nothing, There was no sense of a comeback after that, going back to the energy level that you guys were talking about. But I, I think it boils down to this team has not performed well against better teams. And that's an issue. And I think that's the main issue that needs to be fixed is about why that's happening. And yes, it might be energy. It might be leadership and whatnot, or we see the rest of the way and the conversations. Why is it not? Why is this team not putting in the energy and doesn't have the leadership, but just why aren't they performing? And it might be because they're just not athletic enough defensively to guard those teams.
0: Yeah. The, the other thing with um, this team that I think they're kind of struggling with is, It's the ability to handle success and taking the same mindset game in and game out where, you know, this has been a team where you look at a guy like Armando Baycott his freshman year. That was one of um, the worst years in recent history for Carolina basketball, where then the following year, guys like Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, they – they were an okay team, not the normal standards that you would kind of have for Carolina basketball, where these guys just are having a hard time learning what it takes to be that consistent team, game in and game out, where I people, you can compare them to the 2017 team, where it's like the 2017 team came off a Final Four, came off a national championship appearance, were as close as you could possibly get to winning the national championship without winning it where it's a lot easier for a team like that to come in with with the right mindset the next year when they know they know the process they know the ins and outs of college basketball they know how to you know manage manage a season where that's another thing I I feel like I'm talking too much about the podcast that's coming out tomorrow because I still want people to listen You're to it. You're giving us the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you'll hear it in Justin's words but because Justin was like you know every team in the country starts the season off thinking we're going to win the national title, but their team had a different mindset knowing where they were the previous season to be like, we're not going to be denied and we're not going to let any team kind of get in our way. And I think the other thing that fans kind of have to remember is like, when you're talking about this team, this is essentially outside of Brady Manick and Dawson Garcia. This is the same team that, just four years removed from a national title, Roy Williams retired because he just felt like he could not connect to this team anymore. And you're seeing the same issues for coach Davis, where after the press conference, a lot of his answers are, I don't know, or I'm still trying to figure it out where he he's having the same time. He's having the same difficulties connecting to this Carolina basketball team where it's like, when you talk to Justin, he's like, nobody connects the players better than coach Davis. From, from those previous staff. So it's like there's, there's bigger issues at hand for why this team isn't playing as well as as the simple fact that it's it's a, a head coach issue when you go from somebody as talented, or not as talented, but as um, highly regarded and with all the accolades as Roy Williams to now a first-year head coach in Hubert Davis where the team's just having the same issue still.
1: Well, I, I, th- I think, oh, let, let me chime in, I, and that's to Dewey's point he made the other night and we're referring all over to different podcasts, but if it were, if it were this year's issues, then I think it's a coaching staff issue. And that's what people need to realize. It's not this year's issues, right? There's a man who won 900 games and several national championships that sits in the front row or off to the rail on the Smith center, because he could not accomplish the same issues that this team is facing under a different coaching staff, so that puts it for me in perspective one, two, on the players, to, to wake up every day and want to play and not get beat to death. And, and Gregory, I'll let you ask Rail's question. but my thing watching this team is, yes, they've lost to more talented and better basketball teams. But they don't just lose. They get punched repeatedly, and don't put up much of a fight except against Purdue. And I thought they played well enough against Purdue. If they'd gotten a few breaks, they could have won that game. But against Miami, it was like, we're up five to two. They got a little swag. Bam. Miami punches them. It's over with. That's the concerning part to me, is not the not losing to good teams. It's, it's, they don't just lose. They get beat to death by decent teams. And that's just not the way it's been in Chapel Hill. And that's why Warrior Williams got out. Those those issues, and Hubert Davis is facing the same things. Go ahead, Gregor.
3: Well, I just wanted to ask, kind of, the, I guess, more on Hubert's side, because on Monday before the Miami game, he talked about expectations of what he was they were going to see from Miami offensively, and what he talked about on Monday is what he t- was what one you saw during the game. And two, what both the players and he talked about afterwards, as far as, I mean, Hubert said that they were prepared. They knew they were wanted to go ISO. They knew they wanted to pick and pop, and they just couldn't stop it. Well, on Monday, he also talked about, because of that, that they were going to have to show and do some things differently defensively throughout the game. He was going to have to switch it up, even though he likes to play man and things like that. They played zone defense for, I believe, maybe one or two possessions, but that was in the second half. Um, And it allowed a bucket, by the way. But um, just curious. I mean, he called two timeouts in the first half, rightfully so. They gave up 14-0 run and a 10-0 run and a 9-0 run, all in different spans of the first 20 minutes. So, Rel, I was just curious, one, if you saw the defensive changes or switches that he he implied on Monday? And two, if not, why not?
2: Yeah, you know, we could have saw them, but they were executed so poorly that I'm not sure our eyes were, would have been telling us the truth, and you know there were just so many times shooters were wide open, and it it goes back to me, um, you know we talked about it on the football side. Some like is it a is, is if your system too complicated if the coaches if the players can't learn it, or do you need to simplify so that the players can learn it, and then it's a execution problem on their side, and you know like Tommy said we're at 50 games now almost of this core group uh, being together. And that's enough time, I think, that's a good sample size to kind of tell you what some of the issues are and whether or not it's systemic. And it is, because as Tommy said, it's over two coaches. Um, so, you know, I, I saw the, the couple of possessions of zone. It, I, I think it was zone. It kind of looked like zone. Maybe it was zone. Um, they were trying the, to do zone. Yeah, trying to zone in the second half. Um, but maybe that tells you why he doesn't want to switch that much, because maybe they're just not very good at it, similar to what Roy Williams did. But as far as, you know, the kind of the, the other tactical stuff, I didn't see anything particularly different because it was just so bad. As far as execution, I wasn't sure what I was looking at. Um, so I'm not sure if that answers the question or not, but it, you know, moving along the, the conversation from there, I think the other question is because um, Hubert is not without culpability in all this, so let's, I don't want, I don't mean to make it sound like, you know, what is him or anything, but it seems like the consequences don't line up with bad play or with mistakes. And uh, what I mean is playing time, you know, the, the, the old, the bench is the greatest motivator. Well, the bench isn't really being used to motivate because some of the people making some of the same mistakes over and over again, continue to get 20, 25, 30, 35 minutes every game. So is it a situation where, you know, he feels like that's his, he's kind of, it feels like he's trying to weigh what's the best chance I have to win immediately versus How do I, you know, kind of build the culture and let these guys know that this kind of stuff won't be tolerated? And that's, you know, that's a tough, tough thing, especially for a first year head coach who's following someone like Roy Williams to try to discern. I think that is,
1: that is the great dilemma that Hubert Davis faces. What Sherelle just talked about is how do you balance setting an example for one of your better players? for everybody else to see versus trying to win games and giving yourself the best opportunity to win VIP. uh, I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of the former players. I've heard a lot of former players. I've heard a lot of them say, we just didn't play that way. We, we came out and played hard every day And, and maybe that's accurate. They're also more talented than just about everybody they played. But my question to you is from a, from a player standpoint, At what point, like Sherelle mentioned earlier, at what point do the players step up and say, wait a minute, this is my legacy. I'm going to go down as one of the worst. Is that a thing anymore? Um, Or is that a a thing that you think guys um, on this team or in in that generation of players, somebody mentioned on the YouTube chat, basketball or athletes 2022 or something to that effect, they just don't care as much. I don't know if that's accurate. Your thoughts,
0: yeah, my counterpoint to that would be like there's a, a ton of good college basketball teams out there right now where you're getting great team basketball when you look at like the, what Mark Few's doing at Gonzaga or you look at what Baylor's been doing. Where it's like those those are still good college basketball teams when you watch them play and you're like that's a team that's executing and they're firing on all cylinders and then you you watch a Carolina basketball team against a a good opponent and it, it feels like you're watching almost a a completely different sport but you asked what at what point do is do the players kind of step up and you know realize that this is the legacy they're kind of leaving we're we're way past that point I think. Um, when you get embarrassed, they get embarrassed against Kentucky. They get embarrassed against Tennessee. They they're embarrassed now against Miami, where Miami, Kentucky, Tennessee, those three teams, they essentially could have gotten whatever shot they want, what whenever they wanted, and it's it, I think it really does start on the defensive end. And I I I get people saying like, why isn't Carolina trying to switch things up? But when you're going up against more athletic teams and your guys are having uh, a hard time just with the, the simple uh, process of keeping somebody in front of you, like that's, that's a problem where it's not like, you know, Hubert Davis doesn't have this like Rolodex of defenses. He could roll out (laughs) knowing that his guys, his, his guards can't, can't stay in front of guys. So it's like, Every, everybody's kind of in a tough spot when you can't defend. And I think this team, it's like when they can't defend, it, it, it bleeds into their offense. And when their offense struggles, everybody kind of goes after their own. And it's a team that they're putting individual success before team success. And it's, it's kind of like a, um, one of those circles where it's like whatever whatever you're blaming You could probably blame the thing before it, or you could probably blame the thing after it, but they're all pointing together and it's, it's all a, a continuous cycle.
1: Real, your thoughts on that. I mean, I look at Carolina, this Carolina basketball version, and I'm not saying just this year, we used to talk about how Miami football was front runners. When it went well, they played really well. When it went bad, they did not. And I see a lot of similarities to be frank. i um, watching this team when they play good, when they start going good, guys hit shots early, they're just different. Your take on the mindset or, or where we are, because like Vip said, there are other teams that, like Baylor, would just as soon beat you 50 to 49 as they would 80 to 60, because they will get in you and. I just don't see it from this bunch and this core
2: group, like you mentioned earlier. I think that's the maddening thing about it is that you've seen it from them some. It's just what it is it, Bad what is teams, it? though. Uh, I mean, going over the last two years, it's not just bad teams. I mean, and, and we, not like, enough,
0: to, not enough to be a, a twenty-seven point deficit at right,
2: right? So we're talking about this core group, which are the guys who've been on the team the last two years. They've they've played against good teams, they've beaten good teams, but they've also gotten down against good teams and come back against good teams. So, you know, I don't know where the disconnect is, but there's obviously one because again, you know, not to just, you know, go with the same talking points when the entire, you know, um, program on how Hebert Davis wants to build, is based upon the passion for North Carolina and, you know, wearing that jersey. And you should come out with your hair on fire every game because you it's just such an honor to play in North Carolina when that's how you decide to build your program and then your players play like that, you know, half the time, you know, a fourth or a third of the time. Then that tells me there's, there's just a huge disconnect. And again, it's not that anybody's a bad person or I think anyone is, you know, I, I don't even know if anybody's selfish. I know that word gets used a lot. I don't know if I would necessarily even call it selfish. Um, I just think people have different personalities. And sometimes when all those personalities are brought together, it just doesn't mesh sometimes and doesn't work. I'm not ready to say uh, that this experiment over these last two years is officially over. Um, But at some point, you know, you just you just kind of move on if if that's the case. And right now, it's just not working. It's not fitting. Um, There's still time for them to do that. But that's kind of where I'm at with it.
3: Taylor, you're kind of alluding to the streakiness of this team during games. And Evan Miyakawa, he does basically college basketball statistics, PhD candidate at Baylor. I don't know if anybody's seen his work or mm-hmm. whatnot, but he released a thing that he has started tracking as far as scoring runs and how many 10, a scoring run being at least a 10-0, how many 10-0 runs or eleven o 0 whatever, at least 10-0 runs a team has and a team allows. Um, and if you Allow and have both considered very streaky. If you have a lot, but don't allow, considered dominant. Those are the Arizonas, the Gonzagas, the Auburns of the world. Um, and then UNC's in that streaky column because they've had nine 10-0 runs this season. And then they've allowed seven, two of which happened in the first half against Miami. So, I mean, the, the statistics back up the eye test as far as that we we're talking about earlier with when the offense is going well and the defense is and blah, blah, blah. So when they're having those runs, they're not allowing them. But when they're not having those runs, they are allowing them. And that's kind of leads to beating a Virginia team by being up 25 in the last two minutes and then losing to a Miami team by what the finals
2: was, what, 28. So the statistics back up what we see on the court as well. Tommy, and that's that's mental toughness too. Um, we're talking about, you know, being a, a front runner or, or being able to, you know, win when you're not playing with your A game or even your B game. That's all mental. That, that's all mental toughness. Like if you're if you're up 17, it's a lot easier to be into it and to be engaged and, you know, to play good defense. But if you're down seven, it's kind of like, oh, do I really want to be here? But that's where your mental toughness and your training and your practice just come in and you should be able to say. It's seven points. That's you know, that's two possessions basically. We can come back from this. And maybe and I, I'm I'm um uh as I'm talking, I'm thinking out loud, but maybe that is where there needs to be a leader to Taylor's point and to to um, Tommy's point to come in and say, guys, it's seven points, like the game's not over, just a couple of good defensive possessions and you know you're right back in it. Um, but th- to me it's a sign of wavering mental toughness and whatever they need to do to correct it i don't know how you improve that you know over the course of a season where you're playing every three days but that's to me where the 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 key weakness is is the ability to do stuff consistently over and over and over again and it's super boring it's not fun to be like oh i gotta set a good screen that's not fun nobody nobody really gets off on you know setting screens but that's what they have to have is consistency over and over and over again
3: they did it against yeah. Notre Dame. They came back down what 13? So it's not like they've never done it before yeah, and right. they need to yeah, figure they- out how to do it. They also were down big at Charleston in a rowdy environment earlier in the season. So they can look at film and be like, look, we've done it before. Like it's not like you've never you don't know how to do it, right? As far as not Which- teaching them how to come back.
2: Which is even more again, maddening. They've done it before. They just can't they can't consistently do one thing if what's something that they do consistently well every single night. Is there anything?
1: Maybe hit free throws. Uh, You know, they, they've shot three free throws, better. prevent
3: offensive rebounds. That's a legit (laughs) thing that they do consistently every night and not force turnovers. Oh yeah. They're 300. They're (laughs) almost back to last in the country. uh, Those are two things though.
2: Yeah, those two things. So, and I, I don't know, I, I, I defer to Taylor on this because he's been around, you know, he's been on good teams and been around people on good teams, but I feel like you have to have something that you know you can do every single night something if you're you going to be a good on. team. Yeah, something yeah. you can lean on. Something something in your toolbox. I don't, it doesn't matter what it is, but it has to be something.
1: Which is even more maddening because – and we saw it in Shrill We talked a lot about it with, you know, Bryce Johnson and Kenny D. Meeks, is if you're not scoring, do something to add to the team. And those guys never figured it out until they were juniors and seniors – Um, and you know, this bunch, um, at least the guard play, you know, may not ever get the opportunity, you know, it's just a situation where the times have changed, but that's what I don't understand. And I think that's what Hubert Davis's goal is here is to get Carolina to do something consistently. You can say what you want to about Virginia. Virginia has uh, played a, a style of basketball that is not pretty at times, but when they're rolling, it's nice, but they do what they do on defensive end consistently regardless of how good they are or whatever. That's what Hubert, that's the challenge I think Hubert has, is to figure that out for this team and at least make some progress going forward. What do you got, Gregory?
3: Yeah, I'm just scrolling through the chat looking for questions because we have just kind of been bouncing around and whatnot. But S. Luke 731 asked earlier when we were talking about Hubert not using the bench as a motivator. And I think, Tommy, did. I don't. you might have tweeted this out during the game. What does it say to Dontrez and DeMarco and the other guys on the bench that they can't even get a game when the starters are losing by 27 in the first half and what that might be affecting the opposite side of not using the bench as a motivator? The guys on the bench, how did, that can't necessarily facilitate confidence, right? Y'all's thoughts on that.
1: We, I'll, I'll chime in, and I'd love to hear Sherelle's point after me but we talked about that this year Uh, i mean these guys are getting drilled in in certain games and they're still out there and and dewey pointed out there have been plenty of opportunities for coach williams to go five in five out or, or sub five out and for whatever reason that doesn't happen with coach davis and we talked about it over the course of years why that is or why that may be but my thing is if I'm sitting on the bench and I'm decently talented, let's be realistic. These guys aren't five stars. They're not top 10, top 20 recruits. But I'm not liking seeing the guys getting drilled on the court and I'm not getting opportunity. Sherelle, in your experience covering recruiting and, and knowing guys and talking to guys, I mean, how does that play for, for young men on basketball teams when they see that going on?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is is one of the things that can splinter a locker room and can um, degrade and and start to decay of a coaching staff. Um, I'm not saying that's happening here, but that's I've seen it in the past where that's been a huge issue. In that, you know, you, you're saying, oh, well, you earn your your minutes in in practice, or you know, you have to play well in practice to be able to perform in the game. And so here I am, Johnny. You know, Johnny freshman. I'm playing you know, I, I think I'm playing really hard in practice. The coaches are telling me they're proud of my effort. Um, and then the game comes and I see, you know, star player Y, you know, low for not get a rebound or, you know, force a turnover or take a bad shot or whatever. And then, you know, that player does it over and over and I'm still on the bench. And then, you know, the team is down by 25 and then the team is down by 30 and the team is down by 35 and player X is still doing the same things and I'm not in the game. So, um, that is definitely an issue because all these guys are competitors. They want to play. They want to be in the games. Um, I don't think it's a, a huge issue with um, the two players in North Carolina. If we're being frank, we're talking about Don Trez and, and DeMarco Dunn. Um, they are very much team first guys. And I think they are willing to bide their time. Um, but it, it is a good question when you start talking about um, Hero Davis and how he's going to approach things and that, you know, sometimes you have to sit guys down to, to get their attention and, that really just hasn't happened a ton. And maybe his coaching style isn't. That's the other thing, too. He's still a first-year head coach We're right? halfway through his first season. So maybe he's not going to be the type of coach who sits a player down if, if they're not doing exactly what he wants because they give him a better chance to win. I think we're still learning that.
0: Yeah, from a, from a coaching perspective and from playing um, as well, Like I think, in my opinion, these guys know or should know why they aren't playing over... A lot of these players, when when fans are like, you know, this guy should be playing this much or this guy should be playing less, like there's normally more to the story than a coach who's like, you know, this guy's not going to give me this or this guy's going to give me the best chance. Let me let me keep him on the bench for for some reason, like, for instance, like, let's just say in, in this instance, like somebody like Dontre style is, is having a hard time picking up what he's supposed to do on the court then as a head coach you're kind of you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place like maybe these guys aren't playing to their potential on the court, but you have somebody like Styles or like Dunn who you're gonna put out there and they have no idea what they're supposed to be doing, which is a problem, you know, why why isn't somebody up to speed with what you're supposed to be doing? But I think there there is always more to the story than a coach have just just stashing somebody on the bench who could give this team a better chance to win or even in a, a spurt type of minute to send a message to the team. I think I think Hubert Davis has mentioned the he wants to use the bench as a motivator, but if the bench is having their own issues that we're not seeing play out, I think that's something where where the head coach kind of does deserve a a bit of leeway. and jack, right? That's what happened on football. He yeah. kept
3: saying he wanted to use the bench as a motivator,
2: but he wasn't because the depth wasn't there. And and Taylor, trust is what they value most, right, the coaches? Yeah. Yeah. So it could be a situation where these players just haven't quite learned something or quite, haven't quite done something in practice where he can say, okay, I can play you for 10 or 15 minutes a game.
0: Yeah. If, if a player is out there struggling um, defensively, like with a matchup, you would rather that person in the game than somebody who's just going to be out there wandering and, and looking lost. Like I, I I do have faith in the coaching staff that they're playing the people that they think are going to give them the best chance to win. And I think the people in the locker room kind of have that built-in understanding that, that the coaches are going to do that.
1: Yeah, I think you mentioned trust there. I think trust all the way around within a program, not just Carolina, but everywhere – that players trust the coaches are doing the doing them right and, and the players trust that the coaches are doing everything they can to win games because ultimately and I've, I've referenced it over and over and over max owens back in the day i asked him a question about not playing and he said i don't care as long as we win it was when they started losing that issues arose so we'll see how hubert handles it sherelle one thing people ask all the time and and i know it's uh it's fluid and it's not as black and white as we all think it is, but how does performance on the court affect recruiting and affect guys' opinions of Carolina, um, thoughts about Carolina? I know Don Callahan would say one game doesn't make a difference in a football recruits, but trends and in seasons do matter. How does that apply to the basketball side of things?
2: I think it's fairly similar. Like, you know, no recruit isn't going to – that was a double negative. I should say that differently. A recruit is not going to um, sign elsewhere if he likes Carolina because they lost to Miami by 47 points the other night or whatever. That won't happen. But, you know, if there's a season where North Carolina, you know, for instance, goes 8-20 and 20 or 14-18 or and 18 or something like that, and the guy, their position, doesn't look good and doesn't look like he knows what he's doing, um, that can hurt because, you know, when you're talking about top 25, top 20 type players who North Carolina should be recruiting and who North Carolina um, has recruited historically, um, they want to get to the NBA. And they're, most of them are happy to come in, unpack their bags and all that. But the ultimate goal is the NBA. So if you don't show a clear path of you know how someone before um, you at, at your position uh, did that or how you plan to use them or if it just looks bad, um, that can be an issue for sure. Um, but one individual game doesn't, doesn't change anything. But to your point, for UNC, this is a kind of a three-year trend now of not being you know, one of the elite programs in college basketball. And so that's when you start having issues. That's when things start to go south. Um, they've done well because they have Simeon Wilcher, who, depending on what service you, you're looking at, is a top 10 or top 25 guy in 2023. Um, they had a, a Amazing class in 2020. And then a the pandemic, I think, hurt them a little bit in 2021, and then a solid class in 2022. So they're still recruiting fairly well. Um, but they're at the point now where, if um, I, I would say they've got a year or two where if things don't improve, then it'll really start to affect the recruiting, especially deep into like 2024 and 2025, you know, going down the road a little bit. And Ro,
3: last week you had a scoop up and if you haven't checked it out people listening definitely go go do so well without kind of basically recapping what the scoop was on the premium what have you what's been going on in the basketball recruiting world as far as guys offers just across the board what have you been what have you been up to
2: um so not i i'm the gg jackson writer at this point um that was a joke. Um, so, Gigi Jackson is UNC's, <laughs> he's their top target in 2023. Um, by far, he is someone they identified back in May. And um, he uh, has kind of had a really amazing rise over the course of the last five months, going from someone who people were like, oh, he's top 30, to oh, he's top 15, to oh, he's top five, to hey, he might be the number one player in the class. So, this is that type of player um, that North Carolina is recruiting. and. They have a lot of built-in advantages. Uh, He grew up a a Carolina fan. His dad is a Carolina fan. Um, Everything we know we've been told over the last few months is that Carolina is in a really good spot. Um, Hubert Davis has been ultra aggressive in how he uses his evaluations, how the staff uses their evaluations with him. So they're doing all the right things. Um, But there's a school down the road who he's officially visiting starting tomorrow. And right now, I know fans don't like to hear it, but they just have more um, recruiting cachet than, than North Carolina. That's just the way it is. Um, but uh, a win for someone like Gigi will go a long way into kind of um, that narrative we just talked about of how North Carolina seems to be a program, maybe not on the way down, but that has leveled out. You know, signing a class like uh, Wiltshire and Jackson would go a long ways towards uh, changing that. Um, so we'll see. He has talked about making a decision in the early spring, He's already officially visited Georgetown, uh, UNC. As we said, he'll be going to Duke. He'll officially visit South Carolina and then potentially uh, visit either Virginia, excuse me, or uh, Auburn. So those will be his five official visits. And I do think he wants to make a decision and get it over with, uh, you know, sooner than later.
3: You mentioned the – sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, two points I just wanted to make real quick is – When it comes to recruiting, I've been in like the high school basketball coaching scene the past like three, four years, and I think people would one be surprised of how how popular Duke is with with this new younger generation. Where it's like when I was growing up, like Carolina basketball was everything—the Jordan Brand, the Carolina Blue, Sean May, Tyler Hansborough—like Carolina was the cool place to go. But that has kind of flipped within this this past decade where now it's like duke is is that it school for a lot of recruits and the second point i wanted to make quickly is gregory i'm glad you asked rel what he's been up to because me and rel are both in the charlotte area (laughs) and i'm at providence day coaching basketball for the chargers and i've been trying to get rel to a game for for a week but you know he's he's following the the jackson beat (laughs) <laughs> it's, too bad we, it's too bad we don't have him on our schedule back and forth <laughs> to <at> Columbia
3: <laughs> you mentioned so, the cachet of Duke is it Shire versus Davis or is it really Duke versus Carolina like Vip mentions it's Duke versus Carolina right now
2: yeah um I mean I, we, we have to remember who our audience is so I'm not I'm not going to go any further than that but it's Duke versus Carolina right now and um you know, the the on the court results, you know, if you look over the long haul, I don't think they've been that much different. Now, over the last three or four years, you've started seeing Duke surge a little bit with North Carolina. Um, they didn't miss the tournament, but they would have missed the tournament if there was a tournament. Um, Duke doing the same last year, but now Duke, you know, is a, is a top 10 team with, um, you know, two of probably the eight or nine best players in the ACC. So um, that is kind of where things are. But Again, this stuff flips so quickly, man. It, it, all it takes is, is one guy, um, and, and things are, are drastically different. So I don't want UNC fans to think that they are a permanent, you know, kind of uh, underclass to the top elite of college basketball. It, it, it could likely just be a dip, or it, it could be permanent. You know, we just don't know yet. Um, but the returns from Hewitt Davis on the recruiting trail, I think, have been fairly positive in that the class that he signed uh, in 2022 – he took over in April. None of the four players who signed with UNC had an offer from North Carolina before Heber Davis became head coach, and three of those players were committed within two months. So he definitely identified um, who he wanted. He, you know, had a whole bunch of targets, and basically used that leverage to make sure that he got, you know, some some good players in Chapel Hill. Now they're not top 10, top 15 guys based on ranking, they're, they're not that, but I do think they can be productive. And then if you look at, again, 2023, hit a home run with, with Sim Wiltshire. I mean, nobody was expecting it when it happened um, and maybe opening up the New York pipeline again, where North Carolina has been really good for a long time. So if you're able to pair Wiltshire with Jackson with a solid class in 2022, um, with a solid class in 2021, and then use the portal to fill in the gaps, then you start talking about a team that can do some things, but that's still a couple of years off. Um, so it's going to take some time. And I think that's where we're at with Hubert Davis. It's, it's, it's going to be time. He's not, to anyone out there, he's not losing his job this year. And more than likely, barring something completely disastrous like Owen 29 he's not going to lose his job next year. So let's let's go ahead and not talk about that. And let's kind of see where North Carolina is at, you know, in year three and year four.
3: Hubert likes sure. Wiltshire so much. He's mentioned him in his press conferences.
2: <laughs> you mentioned uh, first year head you, coach.
1: You, you mentioned patience and Sherelle. You know, in the social media world, patience <laughs> is not a thing um, that is in uh, great supply. It's like if you're going in, into food line looking for groceries, you're, you're about as likely to find patience in there as you find some bread when the snow's coming to North and Carolina.
2: <laughs> I, I'm not telling the, the people who are saying he's not going to be a great head coach, I'm not telling them they're wrong, but I don't know. And the only way we're gonna find out is over the course of time, 17 or 18 games is not enough to judge someone who's been a head coach, you know, this his first year as a head coach to judge someone on what they might be, you know. or he even uh, gets his players in. Yeah, before he yeah, exactly. So um, I don't know. I just it's it's kind of a it's kind of a dumb conversation to have, honestly, because no one knows. You can try to extrapolate from these 17 or 18 games, but how do you know? How do you know who he's going to sign? How do you know how he might adjust? How do you know, you know, what's what things are going to look like in two or three years? Absolutely. He could be gone, you know, year three, year four, but to anyone who's adding like it's a foregone conclusion, I, I don't think that's wise.
3: It just goes back to the conversation we had either preseason or after the first couple of games that it was a win now mentality and the expectations are such. And when that doesn't happen, then you have that conversation occurs. Um, it's not necessarily the expectations thing because there weren't really any expectations, but eventually winning is going to be necessary.
2: Oh, for sure. And he, you know, again, he's not without fault. He put a lot of that on himself, um, by some of the things he said. So, um, again, first year head coach, I think maybe in the future, you'll see those kind of comments, maybe be a bit more, uh, mooted than they were in the past.
1: Don't forget Carolina swept Duke last year. Of course, they play twice coming up, Um, and it's an interesting rivalry. But, yeah, I I will agree with you. They get get certainly the majority of the attention these days. Let me ask a question before we get out of here, and we're going to wrap this, and we're going to stay under an hour or right at an hour. I promise Vip that. Vip, best player in the league, best Carolina player in the NBA right now.
0: Best Carolina player in the NBA.
1: Somebody posed a question on the message boards, I think.
0: I just
3: found Uh, it interesting. Brendan and I talked about it on Twitter, and then it made its way to the message
2: boards.
0: Uh, If I I had to pick the best player, I think the player that plays the the biggest role for his team and the success of his team is somebody like Cam Johnson. Um, But I think you could make the argument for just talent-wise, somebody like HB – or somebody like Cole Anthony. But I think for when you're considering who's going to play the biggest role and the most important role for his team to kind of get over um, the hump and the next level, it's somebody like Cam Johnson who who shoots the ball at an unbelievable clip. And the Suns were an NBA Finals team last year. They're one of the two best teams record-wise this year, and it's going to be somebody like Cam Johnson playing a big role for this team to to ultimately win an NBA championship, I think.
2: Real. I He said it all. I, I agree a hundred percent. I think it's Cam Johnson, and then you have to think about Harrison Barnes. Even though, um, that, that's another conversation for another day. I think people are a little too hard on him. The dudes made like hundred and fifty million dollars. He was he's won NBA titles. Like, what more do you want from him? As you know, a, a lower half of the top ten pick. Like, what more do you want? Anyway. Um, but yeah, I think it's Cole Anthony and Cam Johnson, but I I would probably lead Cam just because his role, he's so important to everything they do.
1: I know. I came up here to do the podcast and Phoenix was on TNT tonight. and I I was going to sit down and watch it. And then I remembered that we needed to get this podcast done. I agree. I like Cole Anthony's, I said all along that he was going to be a really good pro and, uh, just what he was trying to do at Carolina, just wasn't set up for that. But anyway, Guys, it's always been fun to talk. I mean, Carolina basketball. This stretch coming up, what is it? Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. Is that what it yes. is, Gregory? And then, and
2: then Tuesday, right?
1: Yes. The, and, and, and then and Saturday, so, Duke. <laughs> so, so this team is, uh, this team's got it in front of them, and we've talked about net rankings and all those stuff. They got to stack wins a lot. And, and pick up some and maybe get one against Duke or two against Duke. Otherwise, the NCAA tournament is going to be an interesting selection Sunday whenever it gets down to that. Speaking uh, of the Duke game, um, Duke's
3: talking about and considering not letting any fans or non-essential personnel into the arena moving forward. Could you imagine if Coach K's final game against Carolina has nobody in the building?
1: Can you that say no chance,
3: day. yeah, I oh. don't. <laughs> I don't. But after a it's because of the it's because of the optics with the hospital being full and not having enough room right next down the street. You've got a full. That's what they're talking about. It's like you've know, you got a full Cameron, but it could I happen. Believe that. Like I seriously, I'll believe, I,
2: I believe that. That that Saturday with the games at six. That Saturday at six p.m. when the when the game tips is when I believe that.
3: I yeah, agree they, with you, yeah. but I'm just saying it's in <laughs> I
1: got varied Gregory discussions. Hall doesn't understand. Those discussions, <laughs> oh. Coach yeah. K will say, you know, like the Jedi thing where he says right. you did he'll that. convince all the medical people <laughs> <Yeah>. you're crazy.
2: <laughs> Tell me, I, got, I got one more thing I'm going to leave on, on a funny note. So we saw uh, the game, uh, you know, against Miami, how bad North Carolina was defensively. They fell from number one uh, in conference-only def- defensive efficiency to what is your guess, from number one to number what?
1: I remember when you said it was number one, I was like, really? That's
2: <laughs> conference uh, only. Eight. They failed to number two. So somehow this North Carolina team is still ranked number two <laughs> in conference only defensive efficiency. Um, which is I I guess I'm not smart enough because I'm like, what?
1: Yeah, I don't,
2: I don't they Also that.
1: they fell
3: 13 spots in Kim Palm's rankings, which that's pretty severe. Yeah, that is severe. In right. one game, you go from twenty-fourth to thirty-seventh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They, uh, they had the work cut out for them if they're going to try to make an NCAA tournament. <laughs> but good gracious, that Miami game was something else. It reminded me of the Maryland game up in College Park when they lost by 40. And I made the comment way back then and said, my rec team wouldn't have lost to Maryland by 40 tonight. <laughs> and uh, got flamed on the inside Carolina message boards. Boys, it's a pleasure. Vip, Rail, Gregory Hall, I'm Tommy Ashley on the beat live. Carolina basketball facing the critical stretch coming up. I'm sure we'll talk about it next week. Everybody be safe. Take care. Johnny T-shirt sponsors us uh, and take care of them and rate review and subscribe. We out.